Hello everybody, this is Dr. Jack Chuang with another psychology-related podcast for you guys today. It is still November 2nd, the day before the election in the United States. And what better time than to talk about the current pandemic situation in America, which is not looking good, and how we can apply psychology concepts to what's happening to help explain what is happening in the United States with regarding the individual behavior of mask wearing during this COVID-19 pandemic season. And uh, I thought I'd just take the subject head on, given that sometimes I want to avoid politics, but it seems like politics is playing a factor here. And so the reason I wanted to create this podcast, because I often get this question from friends and family who are overseas, you know, what's going on in the States? I should tell you that my father and I were in Taiwan visiting from early January January to early February of 2020, when COVID was beginning to make the news. So we were in Taiwan at the time, and... Uh, As you may know, recent reports have shown that Taiwan has had 200 straight days of no internal positive cases, meaning that if any positive cases were found, they were from people entering the country during their testing and quarantine. So no internal new cases in 200 days. The country of Australia reported that they had their first day of no cases the other day, may have been yesterday, in the first time in five months right that they had no no daily cases in the country and New Zealand apparently is doing very very well but we know in Europe they're undergoing new lockdowns for the next few weeks maybe 4 to 6 weeks depending on the country i think UK France maybe Germany as well okay so i've said before on my podcast that i'm not an epide- epidemiologist i'm not a infectious disease expert so i'm just going going by what I know. And I'm going to talk mostly about the psychology of things. All right, so back to the original question. What is going on in America? Why are cases so high? Does it have to do with mask wearing? Um, And here's my observation. Could there be, and if we compare, for example, these other countries that are doing well, with very few, if any, cases, versus and we have to have a baseline uh fact level here that is this argument and i've seen it online and social media can go all different directions because when you post a story about taiwan not having any cases then people usually americans would reply with well they're an isolated island Then the story about Australia came out. Well, they're a continent surrounded by ocean. Uh, People there are spread out, you know, less dense. They don't have the population of the United States. Well, at what point would we as Americans admit that we're doing poorly compared to another country that has done well without any of these excuses or conditions 
Do we need to compare ourselves to another country with the exact same population and geography? Right? Before we would say, oh, that country is exactly like us and, you know, we're not doing better than they are. So maybe we need to examine how, what is it we're doing wrong. You know, why is it so hard to do that? Um, well, obviously there's an ethnocentric bias, right? It's difficult to be a citizen of a country and yet admit that there's something going wrong within our country. We all have pride personal pride and cultural pride and national pride in where we live, right? Look at the Olympics. Everyone's, you know, very proud, waving flags, right, of their the country that they represent. So it's difficult to have the humility to say that, oh man, there's something we're doing wrong and we can actually learn from someone else who is doing something in a way better. Okay? And I see this mindset a lot that as Americans we are we love to say that we're number one at things. And when it comes to comparing ourselves with another country, we give a lot of clauses and excuses and reasons for why that comparison is not valid. Well, if we know that a virus is transmitted in a certain way and that is easily transmittable and does not discriminate based on geography or climate, altitude, right? It's simply transmitted from human to human, whether it's airborne or on surfaces, right? Then if we use that as a baseline of fact, then it, does it really matter whether it's a developing country an Eastern country, a Western country, the cultural dynamics, the political climate, right? Cases are cases. Death counts are death counts. So we can compare per capita to make it more fair. Obviously, you can't just compare pure numbers. If we have a higher population or even a lower population than another country, it wouldn't be fair to make comparisons that way. So we compare per capita, right? And per capita, we're not doing as well. So from that cultural level, okay, so if we start off with those baseline of facts, right? Otherwise, we can argue all day and then can't make any points if we keep rejecting the basic facts that our numbers are worse than someone else's, right? Then you go into conspiracy theories. Well, our numbers are exaggerated. Well, they're not really COVID-related. They're just deaths in the doctors have some sort of evil scheme because, they, you know, whatever, okay? Those are just not factual. So we have to deal with the facts the best we know them from reliable sources. All right, so let's start off with that particular fact. So is it possible that, let's use Taiwan as an example, that Taiwan did so well in South Korea as well and, and actually other Asian countries, um, that they're able to significantly reduce their numbers of positive cases to the point where, and I'm seeing photos online and social media from Taiwan and my relatives, they're going out and doing stuff, okay? Doing regular things. There's no hardly any restrictions whatsoever other than their national level restrictions about travel, right? So everything is domestic in terms of 
Taiwanese people going about their business and doing things. Okay, But they're using common sense. And when we were there, before we left in, in the second week of February, we can see on the news every evening around 8 or 9 p.m. on every station, the CDC of Taiwan and the head of the CDC and his team, no politicians, would have a press conference giving the facts as they know them every single day, an update. Okay, We've seen a little bit of that in the U.S. The prime examples are usually from big city mayors like in New York or governors right, doing a daily update for their state. Uh, we didn't see as many of that. We saw that occasionally in Texas, but we don't really see that anymore, where there's sort of a common understood time of day that we're all getting the same information from. That's reliable. So the Taiwanese people were getting facts about the supply of masks, where to buy them, what are the limitations. Right At the beginning, there was a low supply, so there were restrictions on how many you could buy. And since they have universal health care, everyone, most everyone has a, a health care ID card, and that was used to track um, whether you've bought your week's allotment, right? And so as production increased domestically for masks, then they started to ease, and they had price controls. A vendor was not allowed to sell. Um, there were fixed prices for masks, okay? So there was no price gouging allowed or present when it came in, and there, weren't, there was hardly any panic buying, right, during that time. Um, there were just people that was a little bit anxious, so they'd go check in the morning when the store opens, see if they have masks, and, and to buy a few, right? So more and more information every day will come out about the proper usage of masks. And Taiwan does have the advantage, being in Asia, of going through SARS and other epidemics in the area. And so they have that experience. So they already had a game plan. They knew how to deal with a virus, and to be fair, the U.S. also have had that kind of experience as well. But to the individual citizen, we're, we were not as impacted in the past from Ebola, where it was a daily report type thing until COVID of this year. right? So perhaps that kind of history and experience played a factor, and obviously it did. But the bottom line is that regardless of that, it is about how each of us as individual citizens responded to the information we got and how did we start to behave with regards to social distancing and wearing masks and not having large gatherings and, and all the things that we've come to know and washing hands, you know, disinfecting surfaces in our home. Um, you know, all of those things that, are, that have become basic and, and second nature to us now. Now that it's already November, and we've been dealing with this since uh, probably late February, early March in the U.S. Okay, so in the U.S. we are considered and labeled by psychologists and sociologists as an individualistic Western country, culturally speaking. And of course these labels you have to take with a grain of salt because it does not refer to every single person, but just as a generality compared to Taiwan, which culturally speaking is considered a collectivistic society where the focus is on the group the community uh, 
your company. You know, a, there's a more importance placed on group affiliation than the focus is on the individual. So at your work, you're probably focused on your own advancement. You're not as focused on the well-being of the company you work for, right? Now, it's not 100% or 0%, right? It's not all or nothing. I'm sure at some level you are loyal to your company, right? And that you work for and that you want the best for your company. But if we were to rate it on a scale, I think it's lower than how the average Taiwanese person sees their affiliations. And so is it possible that during a pandemic, the information goes out on what you should do, that in a collectivistic society that is more likely to be conformist and respects authority figures, in a sense, not authoritarian, but authority figures, let's say, in public health, Right? There's a high respect for edu educated individuals and academics in Taiwan that they're much more likely to be compliant. Right, And then it's reinforcing. Family members tell each other. You have aunts and uncles telling the younger kids, hey, be sure to put on your mask. you know. And there may be penalties associated with not doing so, but I don't think the penalties are the main reason why Taiwan Taiwanese people are so compliant by wearing masks on the subway. When we were there, it was commonplace to wear a mask on the subway. You know, if you didn't, that's fine. But if you know you have some symptoms whatsoever, even a little sniffle, then it's expected that you would wear a mask. Not because someone forces you to, but it's, be it's just a common social norm. Right? So social norms are an aspect of social psychology that we talk about in the first year. And, and, and all these concepts are basically undergraduate psychology course level type concepts, right? So social norms are basically norms of society, right? Written, unwritten rules of society. So just like how we behave in an elevator, how where we stand, right? How far apart, personal spacing-wise, do you stand from other people, okay, pre-pandemic and during the pandemic, right? So now we have new social norms that are created. Are you likely to follow them or not follow them, right? So... In America, where so much emphasis on is on individual rights and individual freedoms, right? There's some pushback to any kind of restriction on these freedoms as a reaction to any kind of restriction, and so that's why you see some people um, react that wearing a mask somehow is a violation of their rights, freedom to breathe, and all that. And then, you know. That is possible, but you're, if you're the only one in your, in your social group that is reacting that way, then the likelihood of you continuing would be very, would be less, right? Less probable because there's a lot of social pressure in terms of conforming. And, and there are two types of social pressure, conformity, that's talked about in the social psychology uh, realm, and that's normative social influence and informational social influence. So normative social influence is what we normally think of as peer pressure. That is, we conform and change our behavior to conform with a group because we don't want to stick out. We want to belong to that group, right? So if in social media you're the one spouting out about not wearing a mask and all that, and all of your friends are shaming you and saying, well, dude, put on a mask, you know, it's a pandemic happening, you're the only one who's then it's likely that you would conform, right? More likely. Now, 
informational social influence is where you find yourself in a very sort of unique situation, such as traveling overseas. Let's say pre-pandemic, you're in Taiwan, you're on a subway, and you notice that lots of people are wearing masks. And you're thinking, was it, is there something going around? And you read the news and there's nothing going around. But maybe you should wear a mask in those public places anyway. Right? So that's another kind of conformity. Not necessarily because you want to be a part of any group or whatnot, but it's because you're gathering information based on your observation and you correct your behavior to conform with what's going on around you. It's kind of like going to a fancy restaurant. And this happened to me where, you know, you have your multiple plates, multiple forks and multiple spoons and multiple knives surrounding your plates. And you have a multi-course fancy meal, right? First comes a salad and you have to figure out, well, which of the forks do I use? One of these is a salad fork. So you look around the table and this is what I did. And I would just wait till other people look like who look like they know what they're doing, picked up their fork and I was like, oh, that one. And then I casually picked up my fork and started eating. And then, you know, you figure out where, oh, you leave the fork on the plate when you're done eating so they can take it. Okay. I was trying to keep mine. In any case, that's an example of informational conformity. Right, I'm gathering information around me because I'm because I'm in a novel situation, right? So that could be happening too during March and April, and I think a lot of us Asian Americans were a little hesitant because we know culturally, for us, we're used to wearing masks in given environments, but not necessarily in the U.S. And and given that there was a growing anti-Asian sentiment and specifically anti-Chinese sentiment, because you know. Uh, Kung flu and the China virus, these terms were being floated around, okay? And so the unintended consequence or perhaps intended consequence was Asian Americans were being targeted by some people. Well, it's not a very intelligent thing to do, obviously. You know, the, the person living next door to you or in line at Walmart is not the one responsible for the virus. But a lot of people take out their frustration on them, Right? And so I know of some people, including ourselves, we were a little hesitant at the very beginning to be the only ones wearing masks, right? When we can see that very few people were wearing masks. It just wasn't a thing we did in the U.S., right? Unless you actually worked in construction or, you know, you're an auto body paint professional and you have to wear an N95, right? When you're working on painting cars so you don't breathe in the, the chemicals. So as a country, we're not used to mask wearing. All right, I think a lot of our mask wearing also has to do with identity, right? So now that identity politics is a big thing, it's not so much I support this party, the Democrats or the Republicans because of policy, is that I belong to this party because of my identity, right? And that's what identity politics is all about. It could be some people are single issue, maybe, in terms of the political affiliation, maybe because of religion, they'll always vote one way or the other. Or because they're a minority, they'll always vote this way or that way. Right? And so the group dynamics plays a part, right? If you feel like the trend is that within your group, and this is what's happening in America with with some conservative groups, is that, well, you know, I'm trying to assert my freedom, and this is government overreach, trying to mandate forcing us to wear a mask, right? So we know that the mask is not 
that uncomfortable is of extremely minor inconvenience, but it could be interpreted. And then once you're in that information bubble, right, then that's where normative social influence can play a part. It's like, whoa, all these folks out there protesting the government about wearing masks, and I'm not going to wear a mask either because I belong to that particular group. And with group polarization, according to social psychologists, this is what happens, right? Is that once you're part of a particular group, let's say you're new, right? You join the college Republicans, the college Democrats as a freshman. And you want to belong to that group. You want to sort of show off and you want to show that you belong, right? And what happens when everybody has this sort of need to belong is that they will start expressing views that are stronger than their initial views, to be noticed, to be accepted, right? So if everybody makes that nudge to the more extreme position, then the entire group starts to become more extreme than they were as individuals when they joined the group, okay? So this is an interesting dynamic, right, where there's this self-reinforcement going on, people reinforcing each other. Yeah, that's right, yeah, that's what I believe in. Yeah, let's do this. Our previous methods weren't extreme enough. Let's, let's go this do something new and do something more outrageous, right? And then this group takes on this form of energy. And so the lack of mask wearing could be explained by that as well, right? By the level of conformity, the group polarization, okay? the normative social influence. So how can one still reject mask wearing despite the factual information that wearing masks as a community reduces the spread of a virus well then we can go to sigmund freud now and talk about denial right the act of denial is to just push out a piece of information out of your consciousness right so if there is no pandemic if it is fabricated, excuse me, fabricated, then why should I wear a mask, right? That will support my current position of rejecting masks, right? So if you combine all these morsels of information and then have a group dynamic where people are reinforcing each other, yeah, the crow agrees with me. You can hear the crow outside? Then that's going to be self-reinforcing as well. So the group dynamics are very powerful here. And lastly, let's talk about these groups that we have, right? In America, we talk about how divided we are, the divided states of America, you know, all these kinds of things. And at the source, it has to do with these group formations, right? And you notice that if you're ever in, let's say, a social media group like Facebook, and you're there for a common reason, you know, like a hobby, right? And the group moderator says absolutely no politics to be discussed. Anything political would be removed, right? So no one knows anybody else's political affiliation. Then guess what? Isn't that the nicest environment to be around? Everybody's so friendly. Everyone gets along, right? And then once you see a political affiliation... 
maybe on their profile photo, you know, there's a little banner or something like that for Black Lives Matter or, you know, hey, Trump 2020, whatever it is, right? Then someone's like, ah, I got to unfriend that person, right? Trust me, I've been through that process, right? It's uh, very interesting how the more identifiable information we have about someone, then we lump them together in that particular group, in a sense, stereotyping them that, oh, they must have these qualities to be part of that group. And I must reject, since I reject that group, I must reject that person. Okay. It's interesting because in my neighborhood here in Texas, I think it's fairly conservative. And then I saw one of my neighbors put up a Biden-Harris sign. And I was a little bit surprised. I was like, oh, interesting. I wonder what kind of reaction this person's getting from their neighbors, right? Because I think there are more Trump signs here and there. But actually, there aren't that many political signs in my neighborhood, oddly enough. Um, so let's talk about these socially constructed in-groups and out-groups, as social psychologists like to call them. So a group that you belong to is called an in-group, right? And then a group, groups that are not you're not a part of are called out-groups. Just think about team affiliations, right? In high school, you belong to X, X high school and then ABC high school. All these other high schools are your enemy, right? All you have to see is someone's letterman jacket to know whether they're part of your school or a different school. And even though you know nothing about that other individual, just a jacket alone can cause some dislike or like, right? That's very arbitrary, you know. Where one goes to school is so arbitrary. It's just based on your district lines in your neighborhood, right? You live here, okay, you go to that high school. You live a few blocks away, you go to a different high school, right? So it's fairly random. But yet at football games, there's so much camaraderie about your team. You really love your in-group, and then you start hating the out-groups, right? Texas versus Texas A&M, right? As a Longhorn myself. Boy, we, we just turn red when we see a car go by that has an Aggie sticker on it. <laughs> I don't think that anymore, okay? I've gotten over that. And so, you know, these sports rivalries, this is really arbitrary, right? The decision to go pick a college, you know, it wasn't destiny. You know, we weren't born to go to a particular college for a particular reason, unless maybe you had some family influence, you know, and they kind of pressured you into going. So these group affiliations are extremely, extremely arbitrary, it's like a flip of a coin, right? There really are no differences between some of these groups that we've constructed as a society. I want you to look up um, a class divided. This is a demonstration done by a, a grade school teacher named Jane Elliott back in the 60s after Martin Luther King was assassinated. And she did an in-classroom demonstration of prejudice and discrimination just based on eye color. Of course, this was, I believe it was in Iowa, so all the kids were white. Right, I believe a rural area, and she wanted to teach a lesson about prejudice and what it's like. And all she had to do was to socially construct a dynamic where she defined, and these are impressionable third graders, right, that blue-eyed people were superior to brown-eyed people. So that the blue-eyed people got this in the front, the brown-eyed students sat in the back, Blue-eyed students can only associate with blue-eyed students. They cannot associate with brown-eyed students. They got more benefits, extra playtime, right? And you can see in this video, and you can find the video on YouTube, 
I'll post a link in the show notes of the Frontline documentary about it. And you can tell by the body language, you know, the the, the brown-eyed kids started to sulk and they looked dejected and it, it affected their test scores in school and their school performance, their self-esteem, right? And later, Jane Elliott, because she gained fame for this demonstration, she perfected it and actually did it once on an Oprah talk show, right? And the, even these adults started to buy into it, you know, starting to feel this new reality that was created where blue-eyed people were superior than brown-eyed people, right? So how is that any different than discrimination based on skin color or country of origin, right? Or, you know, native language. Or whether one lives in the rural area versus in the city, right? We make all these divisions, red states, blue states, right? Which are arbitrary, arbitrary rules created by society. Muzafir Sharif also did the robber's cave experiment with teens. And this was also back, I believe, in the 70s. Where he just randomly assigned two groups of teens that were going to go to a camp. They arrived in different buses. One team was given a name called the Rattlers. The other team were the Eagles, I believe. And they just developed a summer camp. You know, they were just given some basic guidelines. They can only stay with their own lodging-wise, right? They can eat with their own group. They started creating competitions. And in terms of the individual teenager, they started liking their own group and started disliking the other group, right? So it, just that arbitrary flip of a coin and labeling of one group versus another group that are virtually identical in every way, but they just have different labels, right? So groups were created for no other reason than just to have them. And then you associate better with your group versus the other group. That's it. And it's interesting because if you ever watch the show Survivor, which apparently is still on, amazingly, that's really what happens, right? Very arbitrary groups that are created randomly, and suddenly there's a group affiliation, a group bond, right? And you don't have that bond with those strangers, and then, you know, they don't trust the new person who's in their group now, that kind of thing, when people get swapped. It's very interesting to watch, right? So... Sharif wanted to know, well, how can I undo this prejudice that's going on? This hatred and dislike of the other group, the out group, and this love of the in group, right? So what he did was he created a situation where the two groups had to, had no choice but to cooperate to complete a project, right? And through the action of cooperation, where there was a bigger goal involved, they were able to break down that in group, out group bias, Kind of reminds me of Independence Day, the old movie, right? Where countries that were enemies just dropped their Cold War antics because we're facing alien invasion. <laughs> and you would think that the pandemic would be a good example of that, right? That whatever differences we have in America based on politics or based on whatever, that we would just let those go in this moment to take care of each other as a country come together as a unit to and have some pride in flattening the curve but that didn't happen right. all right so we covered quite a few 
mostly social psychology concepts here, right? Social norms, group polarization, in-groups, out-groups, identity, conformity, social influence, right? Individualistic versus collectivistic cultures, all playing a part in how we individually respond to wearing masks. And unfortunately, we cannot divorce the action and choice of wearing a mask with our politics, right? So unfortunately, that's just part of it. It played a key role when there are leaders from the Republican Party basically saying that um, the masks are either not effective. And then you have to take into account misinformation or disinformation from foreign elements. Hackers, not even hackers, but foreign entities that want to disrupt American life, make us as unstable as possible. Right? They, they want to fan the flames that were simmering before, but now they're on fire. Right? So I think we would have these problems anyway without this foreign intervention and fanning of these flames, but it's just much worse because of it, right? It's gone to the point where people of different political parties can't even, if they're part of the same family, they can't even talk to each other anymore, right? And so this is uh, one of the downsides of living in America is this uh, political fissure that's happening in our country. So for those of you living outside the U.S. and don't quite understand American culture, maybe this gives you a little bit of insight using psychology concepts to help explain why there's a group that refuses to wear masks and there's another group that follows the medical advice and are very cautious and we wear masks. Um, Okay, I think that's it. That's all I have to say. So it's the eve before the election day. So my previous podcast from earlier today was how to manage anxiety. So hopefully you have a chance to listen to that. Maybe that'll help you out. I certainly need to read my own notes again so I can reduce my own anxiety of this election day and week coming up. Okay, y'all take care and I'll talk to you soon.